0: You're very welcome to this special edition of The Shortlist. My name is Johnny Campbell. I'm your host of The Shortlist and CEO and co-founder of Social Talent. And we're feeling nostalgic this week. It's December. It's only a few days away from Christmas. It's our penultimate shortlist of the year. And with over 40 unique episodes recorded and in the bag for 2021, we felt it's about time we look back at some of the best advice that we've been given for our shortlist of advice over the course of the last year. Every guest we've had on the show has contributed immensely to the shortlist, each giving their own piece of unique advice at the end and graciously imparting pearls of wisdom on all the topics that have shaped this incredibly uncertain and strange year. So to dive into this cornucopia of insight, I'm going to be joined by our very own Holly Fawcett. Uh, Holly's our director of content here at Social Talent, and you may have heard Holly present as she's a guest presenter on uh, this uh, show as well. And we're gonna be pulling out some of our favorites and discussing the kind of nuggets of advice in relation to some of the major themes that we've seen shape the conversation over the last year from D&I and well-being to the changing world of work and talent. Hello, Holly, it's great to have you.
1: Hello, hi, thank you very much for having me. It's great to look at all all the great pieces of advice as you said, there's some really, really, really great nuggets in here.
0: And it's our first show together as well, which is wonderful. I know.
1: People have this weird theory, Johnny, that you're Mrs. Doubtfire because we're yeah, never well, in the same place know, at the same time.
0: <laughs> I can tell you stories, but I won't. I won't start there. That's going to be a whole different show. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of shows, I'd love to start off Holly with your favorite. Uh, you can think back, and I'm not assuming you've heard every one of the 40 episodes we've made this year. But does any episode particularly stick out for you, and if so, why?
1: Um. I did listen to a lot of them this year. So I was on maternity leave for six months during this year, for those of you who don't know. Um, and I managed to listen to quite a few um, during you know, quick nap times or whatever else, it was quite nice. Um, my favorite one while I was away was with Alison Daly. Um And I really loved Alison's um, approach. So Alison runs a, um, a, an organization called Recruiting Innovation. And she has built a really incredible um, and highly scalable tech recruiter program with us at social talent, but also um, as, a, as a curriculum for her own and um, for, for graduates um, through recruiting innovation itself. Um, but her approach to technology and diversity and adversity as well, I just found was really, really insightful um, to see like just that vision of how. Recruiting and and talent, how it connects to every single part of the organization. Um, it was really really inspiring, particularly for those who who are kind of feeling a little bit uneasy in their job in recruiting or want to get into talent acquisition, want to get into recruiting because it. She really did sell it as being this incredibly exciting place that people always fall into, um, and then her amazing call to action at the end to um to, to join and be part of uh, of a graduate grant program that she has. Um, to, to become a fully-fledged technolo- technology recruiter um, saw hundreds of people um, sign up to that which was incredible um, but really I just loved her verve and understanding and passion for diversity in technology in particular um, considering that it tends not to be as diverse a place as we would like it to be. Um, I just found her insights and her outlook just really really insightful and really really nice.
0: Awesome. I only caught up with Alison yesterday. Um ah. this exact time yesterday, I was catching up with Alison Quinceanelli. So I love that that was your favorite show. But mm-hmm. what I want to try and do, and, and for those of you, by the way, who are listening, who are not joining us live or not seeing the video, myself and Holly are dressed in our Christmas jumpers and Holly has a Christmas tree in the background. Dude. And I am already <laughs> roasting hot. So I'm going to probably take this off. <laughs> minutes, so please do not be offended if you're watching the video feed. Uh, and hopefully it won't mess up our audio. What we want to try and do, and, and we'd love to get our audience who are listening live to join in and perhaps share your favorite uh, moments from any of our shows this year or your comments or responses to some of the quotes we're going to read out. So we're going to try and focus on four themes that we really, when we look back at the archive and we looked at the episodes, four themes really jumped out at myself and Holly as being you know, paramount across all of the episodes. So obviously more, some more focused on these than others. And we're each going to take you through each of those themes and we've teased out some of the best quotes that we thought were relevant to those themes and we want to reshare them with you because sometimes maybe you had to jump off at the end of a short list you didn't quite catch the quote and maybe you listened for 39 40 minutes and missed that last 60 seconds and sometimes the goal was in the 60 seconds and mm-hmm. we want to reshare that with you so I'm going to jump in with the first theme that was woven through a lot of the episodes throughout the year and that was leadership. And particularly leadership best practices. And we've all looked at leadership in the last two years during the pandemic because the pandemic has put us such a focus on leadership. And it's been commented upon by many of our guests that in their organizations, leadership has been questioned over the last two years uh, at an individual level. Folks who were leaders for a long time were having to relearn how to be a leader and perhaps develop new traits that they weren't even aware were traits that leaders needed to have. Yeah. And we all believe really we will be needed to ha- needed all the way coming out of the pandemic, right, if there such a thing. So I'm going to jump in with a few of those and just mention some of the folks who, who gave us some of the most insightful uh, quotes. I'm going to jump in with the beginning of the year, Joanne Fennell. And Joanne, uh, who joined us from Flex, um, the massive... Uh, a big uh, outsourced design and electronic manufacturer, 700,000 employees. Juan joined us from the US <clears throat> and she said, be comfortable with having smarter people in the room. If you want to progress and grow. You need to surround yourself with smart people and lean into feedback and learning. And that's, I think echoes a classic quote around hire people smarter than you, which is something we discussed on the same episode. And uh, really, that really, Stuck with me. It was started starting the year last or in January last. You know, have smarter people in the room, but the, the, the real bit that got me was lean into it, lean into the feedback and learning, which I thought was really really interesting. Um, it kind of around the same theme, um, within leadership, we had uh, Kelly Jones uh, on a, uh, from Cisco. A great episode with tons of insight, and she told a fantastic story about uh, the first time she t- was on vacation after she'd taken her leadership role and uh, I tried to get everything ready before she went so that her team wouldn't have to worry about anything when she went and how her, her manager at the time took her aside and explained how that wasn't right and that wasn't going to develop anyone. And her quote that I read out was, recontract with yourself about how you get work done. Every time you jump in to fix a problem, you're taking away someone's opportunity to learn to be you. I I I sent sn- that video Holly and I, I don't know if you were there. I showed it to seven of our leaders who perhaps didn't see the call, because she really hit on something. And it's I don't think it's an obvious thing, right? Um, some of some of the quotes here was brilliant. It might be stuff that is obvious to some of us, or you've read in a book before in a different way. I really thought Kelly's quote wasn't obvious. You know that when you think you're doing the right thing by. Making sure everything's done and ready, you are taking away the opportunity for someone else to learn to be you. Like mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was that was really interesting. I I, I know I've been that person, right? I don't know about you, Holly. It resonated at a personal level. I've been the person who tried to cover and do this, do the this stuff, and I consistently thought I was doing the right thing. And hearing Kelly's Haley, story, I was like, I'm not. That's not doing the right thing. What were your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, I had to. Um... in in preparing for going on maternity leave and going away for six months um I suppose for anybody who's going away for any period of time whether it's a two-week vacation or an extended leave um for for caring reasons or or even just you know going off traveling the world for a little while and I'm going to leave my role and allow allow others in my team to take over for me um you know that preparation that ramp up to make sure that everyone's ready and everything is done and everything's in place so that it's just paint my numbers after that like the temptation to do that is so high um and gosh when you're extremely pregnant as i was (laughs) and and i kept going as well i went i went more than nine months um you know the temptation is to really try and make sure everything is completely smooth so that nothing could ever possibly go wrong so when you come back everything's going to be fine but um no I, i i completely see kelly's point because um the opportunity for growth is in that gray it's in that wrinkles it's in the adversity of you know something not being quite white and mm. um the only advice I was able to give my direct reports upon leaving was um we don't know the answer either so we'll figure it out together if, if you come up against so like it's it's perfectly fine for you not to know the answer because we don't either and it's just a case of we will figure it out we'll figure it out and um I'm very glad that that did stand to them because they all went in with that mindset of sure will we'll figure it out um I th- in the end it did work out quite well but um absolutely that temptation for like everything is every dot uh, every i is dotted every t is crossed everything's perfect um because people don't want to maybe see where the bodies are buried <laughs> yeah. in paperwork or whatever just you know uh, that that opportunity to grow and learn is 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 immense and in this day and age as well when um when you need to hire people smarter than you you know that's that's when things going to grow as well not just um, for them to grow but actually for for things to grow and things to change because doing things the way they always have done is a very dangerous way to continue doing your business you know?
0: in it, it is and there's two more sub themes that relate to relate to that, that I'm gonna, gonna call out one was um and I'll bring two quotes together here actually um Steve Mayer, um, who came on the show, he's with Procore and he joined us the day that Procore floated on the New York Stock Exchange. And he just mm-hmm. rung the bell and ran over from the, uh, the NASDAQ to a, an office building in New York. Um, but he, he closed out the show by saying, be open to your own errors, mistakes and learnings along the way. And make sure your team sees your vulnerability. Um, which the thought echoed the theme we have talked about, about being vulnerable as a leader and the importance of that. Um, to create psychological safety, which has been a big theme over the last uh, couple of years. And it kind of fits nicely with Kevin Mulcahy's quote. And Kevin joined us um, uh, uh, a few months ago and said, don't be so sure of yourself, whether you're right or wrong. Be more explicit in showing the assumptions you hold. And if you remember, Kevin was an Irishman living in Boston, who had just mm-hmm. come back to Ireland for a few months for family reasons and talked about the the power of assumptions as a model for uh, kind of, you know, uh, to, to look at, at at your business and look at your plans and, you know, rather than make all loads of different plans uh, just in case something might happen, is focus more on the assumptions and watch that the assumptions change. But saying, you know, this this surety that this is what's going to happen, that we've modeled it this way or that way. We talked about be more explicit in showing the assumptions you hold, which again is is an element of vulnerability, I think. Uh, in saying, you know, I, I don't claim to have all the answers because I think the traditional leader was expected to have all the answers and she had to come up with these things. It's saying, I believe this will happen based on these assumptions, but I know these assumptions may change and it may be incorrect. And so therefore you work on the assumptions. So I think those those two went hand in hand. And lastly, on the leadership quotes, uh, and again, two that go nicely together, Clark Pah- Powers joined us from World Vision and Clark uh, is, is a gentleman, an absolute gentleman, mm-hmm. and he closed with I think, one of the most unique comments which was each person is a masterpiece, valuable, a treasured work of art. If you look at and treat people that way, you'll be a better leader, which I just thought was beautiful framing, right? And it just brings the, you know, be more vulnerable with the heart and just stop and look at your your, your people as masterpieces, right? Which just was a treasured work of art. I love that framing. And that kind of goes uh, as a companion piece to Colin Donnery's quote, which was only in the last few weeks when he joined us. Again, Colin Donnery, who works both in the uh, with uh, Tourist Nua, which is a, an agency that helps get folks back to work in Ireland, and then FRS, a group that uh, has a recruitment agency and RPO business here in Ireland as well. And Colin joined us from from Italy, where he just begun his holidays. Florentine mm-hmm. holidays, wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah, from Florence. Um, but he closed out with, giving people confidence is almost like a superpower. But on the other side, undermining confidence is so negative and can get out of control with managers and leaders. I think both of those speak to the humanity piece in terms of, yes, vulnerability in the first piece, but the the humanity was really, really important. I think there are two traits that we're looking for more in leaders. But I'm going to ask you, Holly, maybe to move on to our second theme and pick out your best quotes.
1: Sure. So our second theme is on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we had a huge range of speakers over the course of this year um, give phenomenal advice specifically around DEI, but also some of those who spoke outside of DEI, whose whose um, whose advice just really resonated so well with this theme. Um, so the first one is uh, goes back to actually my favorite episode of the year, which was um, from Allison Daly, and her 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 piece of advice for the shortlist was. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable That discomfort is a prerequisite for growth so it it hugely speaks back to um what Kelly um Jones was saying um and also Joanne Fennell also being comfortable with having smarter people in the room and but being comfortable with being uncomfortable was really important especially around diversity equity and inclusion um Matt Jeffrey um Matthew Jeffrey spoke to um, to DE&I about stories so, and Matthew being a, um, a really, really um, an incredible subject matter expert around employer branding um, but saying listen, just listen to your team's stories and their views and expose yourself to new ideas which I think was quite uh, quite interesting. Um, Torrin Ellis also, you know, Torn being such a, a phenomenally um, almost pastoral speaker and Torrin. if you're if anybody's unfamiliar with Torin Ellis and um, just just google his name Torin Ellis and you'll you'll find a lot about him um, and a lot of his is great um, his great speeches and that are almost sermon-like um, but his his pieces of advice are so action-oriented and um, that I really loved um, this one which was what do you do now if you're not willing to raise your voice you're complicit you're part of the issue some, essentially, that call to action if you know if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. So what do you do now? Um, I thought it was really, really was really great. Um, and lastly, from Salma Al Wardani, that every time you're speaking, look at those who aren't and invite them into the table, um, which I felt was also quite a nice um, a, a nice action uh, action task to in companion compa- with with Torin and what you do? Well, Salma is very, very easily just. You know, if every time that you are speaking, see who else could be here, and see who else's perspective could be shared here, um, and and use that platform to um, to share with others. I felt it was really powerful. There were so many stories um, from from different people throughout the year, um, that brought in from you know how to open opportunity for others. Um, in terms of Salma, also Siobhan Sweeney as well from Open, uh, open Doors, which is a, a mentoring program and bringing people into, um, into different areas of work. And, and we're working with Open Doors at Social Talent to, to help um, shape and, and create new people into recruiting, uh, into recruiting careers. Again, a place people can, can happily fall into and do really, really well. Um, but looking at the, what those organizational barriers are, um, her lovely piece of advice was um, look at the barriers, particularly at entry-level jobs into your organization. You know, that, that broken first rung of the ladder is often the, the, the one that people uh, trip over the most. Uh, once they're on the ladder, they can get there. But getting into the first rung can be the most difficult thing. So loads of actions, I think, that people had within their, within their advice that people can take very simple, small steps Um, as well as Torin's kind of rallying rousing cry of you know if you're you're not if you're not here to solve the problem then move away.
0: I agree agree. and Torin and Salma together uh, remind me that probably two years ago maybe before the pandemic I really didn't personally have much concept of allyship and privilege and only in working with great people like Torin and Salma and hearing other great speakers and those who joined our platform in that period as well Holly um, it opened my mind to that. Like starting with, with, with Torin, it's not good enough to sit on the sidelines. You can't mm. sit in the sidelines and say, well, I didn't cause the problem or I, I didn't say anything. It's like, we didn't do anything to fix it. So therefore you're, you are complicit. I think the world has moved in that direction to say that inaction is complicity. And then Salma, who's uh, you know done so much and educated me through the trainings on our platform as well. And uh, mm. the talks I've heard her give and uh, as a guest on the show a couple of times as well. You know, to be conscious, always conscious of others who's not speaking, um, who didn't get an opportunity uh, and leveraging your privilege. If you uh, or what privilege you have in each context to, again, back to Torrent to actively do something about it. But I think maybe it, those two things go well together for me that. A lot of people who, who are not willing to raise their voice, as, as Torrin said, I think a lot of folks didn't know what they could do. They didn't know they had a superpower to fix things. But when you combine that with the introduction of the idea of privilege and allyship, you start going, oh, I can do something. I can stop the conversation and, uh, you know, lend my privilege to somebody else to make sure their voice is heard or to give a perspective or to stand up for somebody or to whatever. And you start to mm-hmm. see that as a thing you have, where maybe folks didn't think they had that. I think those two concepts together work really nicely. Don't sit in the sidelines because we all can leverage some level of privilege to try and help mm-hmm. others be conscious of it and be active therefore in that. So they, those two themes have resonated massively for me in the last two years. Yeah, great quote. Yeah. Also, the the
1: the piece around privilege was such an interesting conversation, particularly how Salma frames privilege because it's sometimes it's um, it can be easy to dismiss and say I don't have. As much as somebody else, therefore, I don't have any. When really, you know, we all have something in the bank, right? There's 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 some piece of currency there that we have that um, we can um, we can own and 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 also we can share. Um, But simply being a voice, um, even if it isn't a terribly powerful one, um, and actually this goes to the last quote um, from um, Joanne Lockwood um, that you know don't just She had a really interesting quote about, um, you know, one tiny snowflake doesn't make an avalanche, but lots of snowflakes together really do. Um, And that's it. You know, even a small voice with with little privilege or, or little amplification, when lots of people do join together, it becomes a cacophony of sound. It becomes this incredibly powerful force that people can't ignore. And that's kind of what happened this and last year. You know, lots and lots and lots of voices suddenly realized that when they spoke together, Big things will happen mm. and we we harness that privilege so Salma's understanding of privilege being such a thing that it is you know we every single one of us have a piece of privilege somewhere some more than others yes and if you do have more than others then it is I think it's your duty as to Torren's point it is definitely your duty to step up and share that but even if it's something so small by sharing it with others your, your voice I think becomes louder you know you gain agency you gain power and that's incredibly powerful um i think for 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 anybody who who feels that they just they need they need a, a platform of some kind to be able to stand up and do the right thing
0: i'd agree i'd agree we're going to move on to our third theme um in the interest of time Holly. we we we've got four to get through there's been so yep. many quotes and the third theme we we identified when we sat down and looked at these uh was well-being not surprisingly, probably, but it's been a big theme since the pandemic in terms of, me hinted at it in the leadership quotes, making sure you're looking after some well-being. And we had some, some great people on, um, including some of uh, the folks you interviewed and had the privilege of speaking with as well, Holly. And, you know, Linda kicked it off, uh, Linda, G, Linda Jonas, uh, for those who don't know Linda. Uh, Linda currently lives out of Germany, and she's one of the speakers on the Social Sound Platform. She joined the platform this year to develop a fantastic leadership program with her colleague and friend Jason Lawrence, And uh, they were teaching folks how to be leaders in a remote world or a hybrid world, and mm-hmm. a fantastic program that we in Social Talent went through as well and on a leadership group, which was really, really insightful. And Linda's advice was, and it's really simple, but it's quite powerful. Take time out from work. Stepping, you know, stepping away from work for extended periods gives you clarity, I think was her point. And it was a simple thing, but take time out from work. and. I I did it today. I had a meeting scheduled and I was just, my brain wasn't working after lunch, It wasn't working. I had things to do and I stopped and I asked my colleague, could I shorten our meeting from 60 to 30 minutes? And I did a nap, I did a 20 minute nap and- Napping
1: is brilliant, good job. Yeah,
0: I think we should all encourage you to have naps, right? When you get a bit older in your 40s, 50s, whatever, you know, it maybe it becomes more, more important or when you've, you know, young children who are keeping you awake at night, you need more naps. Um, but take time out and don't feel guilty. Like, encourage it. Like, support each other for doing it. I, that's really important, right? Um, and some other great ones that back that up. I look at uh, uh, Michel Guy-Berger, Guy-Bergeret. Uh, and Michel works with uh, the International Committee for the Red Cross. And he said, sometimes if you want to do more, Stop talking about work. Take care of people in a sincere, transparent way and look to build trust every single day. And that was a theme we just heard over and over again, Holly, I think, you know, during the year, which, you know, again, Mary Collins, who's another presenter on the Social Talent uh, Platform joined us um, towards the latter end of the year to say, in this post-pandemic world, we need to focus on building radical empathy. Right. So that empathy and Michelle's point about take care of people in a sincere, transparent way. You know, I think that's just so important. We've seen it. The, the leaders who've shone in the last two years, they have parked the work and said, yeah, all right," And how can I support you? And not because they were told to, or they read an article in Forbes that said that, because they just cared. And I think we all have been allowed to care in the last two years. And hopefully that never changes. That's been a big change you know you were you're meant to leave your personal baggage at the door that's what I was taught I was going into workplace and not by any particular workplace just culturally I thought that was what you do I don't know about you Holly um, but that's kind of been the way it's like you have work and you have home and you know please don't bring your personal baggage to to the table whereas great leaders like Michelle and Mary you're saying no, you have to have radical empathy. Park work for a second; these are people first you're working with. They're colleagues, they're friends. They're, as as Clark said in our in our leadership piece, right? Uh, they're masterpieces, treasured works of art. And there's overlap there, of course. But uh, what are your thoughts on that that change in the world where we have given license to everybody to actually show that they care? What do you, is that the thing you see everywhere?
1: Um. Well the ones who are successful yes I see them do that for sure but also there has been um a reckoning for managers at a very transactional level who 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 actively don't do that you know who put the no I need you to work this shift like I don't care that your grandpa that your grandparent died or that you're sick with COVID I need you to do this you know um and kindness I kind of know where they were taught that because I was also taught that in my first management management role um, I was very very young I was 21 and I was basically told exactly the same as you Johnny you know you leave your work you leave home at the door and this is work and also these aren't your friends you know even though you were their friend two weeks ago when you were their colleague now you're their manager and you you can't be their friend anymore and so you have to have this switch of being a, a manager and that was dreadful <laughs> it was Absolutely awful and um, but those types of incentives of no no no, you really have to be quite firm and you need to say you know you have to be an agent of the business and I was told that phrase agent of the business so often um, and I don't really know what that meant um, and <laughs> specifically not in the long-term context that's for sure right because being an agent of the business also means looking after your people with that radical empathy that Mary Collins is talking about because that's what's most important from a long-term perspective um but like I was, I was only reading a Buzzfeed article earlier today. Please forgive me for reading Buzzfeed articles. Um, but certainly th- this one was about how these managers are essentially like a holes, right? They're just like here's like vi- visual proof of text messages that they've sent their people when their when their parent has died or grandparent has passed away, and they therefore can't make it to work or you know, can't find childcare, oh, I'm, ju- I'm just really sorry, that's not good enough, you know, <laughs> what can I do? Yeah. Like, it's a pandemic for goodness sake, and the schools have suddenly closed, you know, like, and, and we only had that last week here in this country where we had a big storm, um, and as a precaution, all schools and all childcare facilities in, in, in the areas that were affected by the storm were just closed by the government overnight, very, very late notice at nighttime, and every parent, I think, of the country was like, oh no, what are we gonna do the next day? What do you do in that circumstance mm. you'd be a human you'd be a human and um and like the work will get done you know it might not get done right there and then but it will eventually and um and people love their their employers and their colleagues who who support them you know because that's that's really what it, that, uh, all that makes makes most sense there is is to just treat them like humans and they will act like humans um and they will act. do the right thing
0: I remember January of this year, uh, again, this was in a lot of countries, I think, but in Ireland, we went home for Christmas and our our children came home for Christmas and they didn't go back to school. And the schools remained shut for many months. And Mm -hmm. I remember the first week of January when we kind of came back to work in Social Talent and we had our plans for the quarter. We just sat down as a leadership team and said, we're not going to get all this done because our team, for different reasons, are going to have to look after their own kids, help look after other kids if they've got siblings or friends uh, who have kids, and we just have to accept that we're gonna have to reduce our expectations because this is life and we'll get over it and we'll catch up and it'll be fine or we'll just have to move all the deadlines out, whatever it is, but you have to be more realistic. Uh, And I'm gonna close on on this topic with Peter Coulson from Spotify, who you interviewed Holly, and his quote was, it's all about relationships. Ensure you stay human in a technologically advanced world. So we had three themes so far, we had the theme of leadership, the theme of diversity, equity, inclusion, the theme of well-being. Um, what was our fourth theme that you teased out, our final theme, Holly?
1: Um, fourth and final theme was around proactivity. Um, I think in this pandemic kind of time, you know, it's it's tempting to... kind of batten down the hatches and, and just beaver away at things but actually doing stuff in a much more strategic proactive way will ultimately you know going slow to go fast that's a that's a huge theme that came out this year um and some wonderful pieces of advice from people as varied as Dr Beverly Kay to Theo Smith um who spoke about neurodiversity really really interesting um pieces of advice here so Bev Kay's um advice was that you have to recognise and you have to verbalise and you have to mobilise. Um, Nick Johnston who came to us from the Middle East, he was in Dubai at the time, I think he's uh, yeah, he's now, now in Dubai, sorry, he was in in, um, in Abu Dhabi, yeah. was that sometimes you just have to jump in the pool and get on with it. Yeah. Um, Kevin Oakes, uh, this is a really, really interesting conversation, that your culture has changed in this pandemic, so be proactive and shape it to be the culture you want and uh, you want to see in the future. Um, Kingsley Aikens, who is the, the networking master, absolute networking master, um, and has been to, to more countries than I can count um, with uh, Enterprise Ireland to promote Ireland as uh, as, as a destination for um, for foreign direct investment. Um, was to always remember something small about people and turn cold calls into hot coffees no, <laughs> it was quite quite nice um Keo Smith's uh, was just do it the reality is that we can achieve far more than we think we can and I think this this uh, this past two years has definitely shown us that um when we put our minds to it and we we just you know, as, as Nick said, if you just jump in the pool, that actually we can get, uh, get far more done than we think we can. Um, Jen Lamberts will start from a place of yes, again, a positivity piece. Um Jerry Finn, in this particular conversation, Jera Finn at the time was the, the head of um, HR and people for, for Twitter. Was, Don't underestimate your influence and potential impact right now. I genuinely believe we're at a moment of outsized impact that will affect how we experience work for decades to come, but it could be seismic. Um, so all of those are like they're, they're, they're neat little pieces around productivity, but ultimately um, there is a there's a lot I think that, you know, where organizations have shaped themselves and they've grown organically to be the way they are. And we've, we've organically developed diversity problems in organizations, we've organically developed inclusion problems in organizations because, that's you know, they weren't designed that way. We, fell, you know, we kind of fell into this kind of routine because everyone else was doing it that way. But now we have the opportunity, even legacy organizations to course correct, like massively course correct. And this is a huge opportunity for us to go, right, we're just putting a stop to it right now. And we're gonna do things radically differently. We're gonna jump in the pool and believe it or not, we can do this. Um, and even us, as, you know, in our organization, I've known this firsthand, you know, coming from that position of in the beginning of the year, when I was saying farewell to everybody to go off for six months um, and everybody else was, was stuck at home with children to, do, to be you know, t- teacher on one side of the desk and, and, um, and, and parent and, and employee on the other um, and that we had to move things out and get things up. We still got things done. You know, we, still, we didn't change anything. We, we just moved the timelines, but ultimately things still got done. And weirdly, we found that extra capacity or we reprioritized and realized that that thing over there wasn't really that important um and you only get that with 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 perspective you know you only see the wood for the trees when you have to radically prioritize things um and sometimes just, just getting along with, getting on with it uh, ultimately will will be really really empowering and uh, that seismic shift that jerry that was talking about that outsized impact that having this radical like stop start and going nope we're changing huge direction here and we have that opportunity to and everyone else is just following along because they they can and they want to and they're seeing this as a as an opportunity as well i think all of those those um, pieces loosely bring together into something of, of proactivity. what do you think Tony?
0: i think as march 2020 becomes a little bit further away we can forget easily how strange it was and that proactivity piece just how i've never seen people as proactive as they were in those first three months you know, if you didn't understand what proactivity meant before then, you certainly did after going through that, where it was like, you just have to figure stuff out. And when our business were like, we can't get into a studio to film training content. We're a training company. We make mm-hmm. content that for our customers. How the heck are we going to do this? We yeah. figured it out, you know, um, it just th- that was a small example. But other companies and businesses did it fantastically and families and everyone else and institutions and educators, uh, I saw. In Ireland, ever around the world, you saw things like um, uh, garage forecourts, right? You know, your kind of petrol or fuel stations that were abandoned, Mm -hmm. converted into outdoor coffee shops and restaurants. There's (laughs) several of them around, around the Dublin area where I'm living and you go, wow, that's just, wow, that's brilliant because people couldn't go indoors. It's like, well, let's create an outdoor space that has shelter, hang on a second, an old petrol station, that works. Yeah amazing stuff right just kind of really proactive stuff people started selling stuff out of windows in in premises they would never have dreamed of doing and offering different services we all became you know eaters of uh, restaurant quality food that we cooked at home that we bought boxes Who thought we'd do that stuff, right? The productivity Mm -hmm. was just amazing in so many different industries. And in recruiting and talent acquisition, you saw recruiters who were, you know, downing tools for a few months, they had nothing to do. And the businesses that kept them, they engaged in onboarding. They built new HR processes. They helped folks get get new assets delivered to new employees. Loads of things. It was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. And if you've worked and lived through that, you know everything can be done. Whereas previously, there was an attitude of, oh, no. You know, I mean, you, you, you can't be doing that, right? But to come to Jan Lambert's point, start from the place of yes. That's where we live now. Or Ed Nathanson in his episode who um gave a simple one, which was why not? Mm. You know, we used to say how. And I think after the first few months of the pandemic, pandemic, we said, yeah, why not? We did it then. Let's do it again. But Holly, I'm mm. going to ask you, you know, we've talked about the year so far, the themes we heard over 40 episodes. I, I'm going to bring it into next year. right? I know it's, always um, foolish to try and predict the year ahead. But I thought what we might do is take out themes that we think will persist or develop into next year, into 2022, if you're listening to this in 2022, you can tell us um, what they are. And I'm gonna start- We're we right. we see. We're right. You know, The theme that I've seen emerge this year is the theme of uh, uh, what's well, called ESG, right? For those who are not familiar with that, it's environmental, social, and governance. I didn't have a clue what ESG was as an acronym when I first heard it, but ESG, uh, is, it really is the umbrella that incorporates D&I, but it also incorporates you know, social responsibility, environmental responsibility, and it's become a huge thing um, initially in the world of investment. It probably started in when you know, uh, the investment world started looking at you know investing in more responsible organizations, people who had a high ESG score. Banks and financiers started giving preferential rates for that. People started asking about, you know, a company's ESG stance. And more recently, employees are formalizing this and saying, we want to understand, yes, your diversity and inclusion policies, but where do you stand in the environment? Uh, Are you doing good? Who owns your company? Who makes money? What do you do with the money that you make? You know, all these different pieces that come under the ESG umbrella. We had Jerry Crispin on in actually the end of the prior year, the end of 2019, I think, Uh, or maybe it was a year ago. I I lose track of time, Holly. Jerry (laughs) Christmas, I talked to us about, at the time, a NASDAQ requirement that had just come in for reporting or publishing um, of your diversity uh, levels within your board, which had come in for nasdaq quota companies last year. And that will then, through an ISO standard that Jerry introduced to us, is likely to come in across multiple areas of ESG. I'm hearing from leaders in talent and talent acquisition they're saying that they might have been with companies five 10 15 years for the first time ever this year they've been asked to present to the board and to the ceo on talent stats you know because it's a big part of your environmental social and governance piece you know are, are these issues so i think that's where you know you talk about uh, Jared finn's uh, quote about you know we're at a really interesting time and it could be it could have uh, decades of effect esg is one of those things i think we're going to be a big theme it's going to become bigger and bigger in our employer brand and you know in terms of the metrics that we need to feed into the wider business at a board level because they're going to be uh, uh, needing to demonstrate these stats for a whole host of reasons for shareholder reasons investment reasons employee reasons so i think we're going to see d and i not just persist but expand you know Mm -hmm. and be there more formally as a thing you just have to have and hopefully to jr finn's predictions for decades to come so that's my first one how about you
1: um I, well, I just to pick up on that, I think actually just specifically around what are the assumptions that we come to this prediction with going back to some of our earlier quotes around why, why, yeah. why do why do we predict these kinds of things? And um, the extraordinary sh- uh, shifts that have been made in the past two years based on like from Larry Fink's annual letter to BlackRock shareholders and, and that investment fund, etc., um, around long-termism to activist investors inside absolutely enormous companies like from Exxon and Shell, you know, suddenly going, oh, we're actually going to actively not produce oil anymore. Um, could you imagine that happening even five years ago? But now, now that these activist investors are inside those organisations, they're burrowing in from the inside and it's cultural change from, from the board level on, uh, on downwards. But as well as employees, right? It's, as you say, it's, it's employees who want who want different things. But they've seen what's happened over the past two years, and they've, they've corralled that individual voice they have into a chorus of calls for something being uh, really important. Um, so definitely, I think the ESG piece um, is 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 just what is best for the long term. And in terms of uh, of what's best for the long term. Um, I think hybrid working is here for the long term, right? It is here to say we're no longer are we going to be um, going to a place of work. Um, I think we will go to a place of work for very specific purposes. If you are um, a person who delivers a service to other service users, and that needs to be delivered somehow in person, then yes, of course, that's gonna continue for you as a place of work, but ultimately, the, the vast majority of roles that are moving into um, into thought work rather than necessarily like service delivery and things like that, but the high end service economies that most of our organ- uh, most of our organisations would start to move towards um, working remotely or from you know from outside of the of the the company right We're outside of our, our address um, is because this is where your work gets done where collaboration might happen might be inside an organization's like a headquarters of some kind maybe or maybe this is like here's a rented function room in a location that happens to be convenient for more people than than the offices and but hybrid working as a this is a generalist term of you could work from absolutely anywhere location is independent of the organization and I think that's definitely here for the long term and not only are like people just downright refusing to come back to work, uh, or come back to a workplace, more more should I say, and um, it also speaks to diversity because suddenly it opens opportunity for more people when you have the ability to work from anywhere, and also it's more environmentally responsible, right? We're no longer commuting long t- uh, long distances. We're no longer having to do, and um, you know, spend acres of time. Um, in you know alone in cars through traffic etc so i think hybrid working is here to stay for more reasons than we think it's not just the fact that it's it's cheaper for a company to have less office space it is actually fundamentally better for the world i think Uh, and therefore it is definitely here to stay
0: Uh, i totally agree by the way quick shout out to jeremy roberts for listening live jeremy great to have you listening into the show and thanks for joining us i'd agree on the hybrid working for sure um holly it's People talk, we are talking about when they return to the office. You know, I saw some companies say 2023. It's like, what? <laughs> um, why
1: bother? Why bother? I just
0: say, like, this is the way we're working. We'll have a combination mm-hmm. of office, not office for the roles that do allow it, of course, or can allow it. But it's something you have to more accept. But it's still not solved, it is not solved for, for a whole bunch of organizations. But I mean, if okay. I dig into that again, because you know, we spent a lot talking about that in the past, and it, it's a whole show or more, I think, if we're to dig into it. Uh my, my, my next and last prediction is probably around um, how we hire. I think because the economy's gone kind of weird um, and we have such a lack of in-demand talent, as in a lack of the talent that we demand to have in the marketplace, I think you're seeing organizations already have and will continue to further move into what we, what's often called skills-based hiring or strengths-based hiring. And I use that as a contrast to experience-based hiring. As in, you don't just hire, you can't hire somebody for the, for most jobs who has the job title you're looking for and has the experience in a similar company. It just isn't happening, it's not enough talent out there. So organizations are being forced to say, well, what are the core competencies or skills or strengths required to, to be successful in this role? And we're gonna be more open to people from different backgrounds who might demonstrate those skills and strengths. So it changes the way you have to hire, interview, assess, of course, you have to really change that. And that's easier for recruiting teams than it is for hiring managers, right? Um, but you also, as you said, there's an impact um, on hybrid working for things like DNI. There's an impact on this for DNI. More folks mm-hmm. are being considered from more backgrounds. I was on a call uh, this morning and we were talking about hiring recruiters and um, hiring recruiters who are, yes, from different uh, professions that probably wouldn't be considered before. But also, a, a company were telling me that they're trying to encourage their current teams, mothers and fathers to apply for jobs as recruiters okay. and get trained up. Like, can I, I had somebody say this morning, you know, there's a lot of untapped people in their 50s and 60s who could be great recruiters. I'm thinking, this is brilliant, right? There's loads of other places that you could go for. I'm gonna call out a couple of comments that are in here. Jeremy Roberts saying, I'm doing a new job, where I actually need to learn from peers. An Office would be great for that, but not necessarily once I am ramped up. And this is the thing about hybrid, Jeremy. It doesn't mean all uh, remote, right? That's not, I think, what we're saying either. You know, there's a time for in-person, there's a time for remote. And social time, we recognize our team absolutely want to see each other. They just don't feel the need to see each other to do work. So we're really active in creating opportunities to go for lunch, dinner, catch up. But don't do work while you're doing that. Keep work. in a a way that works for everyone else, which for us is is remote, but not for everybody. It's a really good point. If you're newer in a business or you really need to learn off people, maybe Zoom just, our our Teams doesn't work for you. Um, And then George LaRock, think of the pressure they've relieved by pushing a return to the office in 2023. It's much more pragmatic than trying to chase normal. You're so right, George, right? And George, uh, very well-known analyst in the community um, and, and trend spotter. Uh, for sure, you're dead right. You know, it's kind of go away. It's like, 2023 means sometime in the future. I think it doesn't mean 2023. It's kind of saying just stop talking about this for the next year and move on, right? Normal is is this. You know, why wouldn't this be normal? It's just different, right? I, I was talking to somebody recently about about um, about uh, a younger colleague who was ta- who didn't didn't hadn't worked in a world or doesn't remember a world before nine eleven. I talked about mm. transport, you know, transport was very different pre 9-11 for me and for all of us who tra- who traveled, did air travel pre 9-11. It changed and never went back. Like the way that well, people think of normal air travel today, if you're of a certain age, that isn't normal for those of us who are older who traveled before 9-11. It just became the way the world was and moved on. And this is the way we've moved on. We love masks. We love different things and vaccinations. For a while, it just won't be a big deal. Do you
1: remember a time when people were able to smoke in a restaurant or a bar? I remember in a plane,
0: Holly. The first time I ever got in a plane. (laughs) You can smoke enough for that. That's that's maybe show my age, but that was and I, I hate smoke. And so I sit up the front of the plane. But to think of it, you're gonna really half the plane or smoking. It's kind of mental.
1: And they swap right. with one another.
0: <laughs> oh, but I don't. I don't want to run out of time, right? Let's uh, let's jump into. It. I have skills and strength based hiring. It's there at the moment. It's going to keep going further because the market demands it. But it's a better way to assess talent. I'll move yep. you to your last prediction, Honey.
1: Well, um, actually, it quite nicely links in with with a better way to assess talent. Um. And also comes to um, something that Jeremy had mentioned about that kind of transfer of tacit knowledge. So having a place to work can be really nice um, in order to do that. But um, we often think about promotions as being kind of, unfortunately, they often tend to be, um, they tend to be proximity based because we can see the visual, like see that we we can visually see that a person is achieving their work. And also we have a much more um, ability to build a relationship with employees Um, when we see them in person. And therefore, I think internal mobility is gonna be a huge challenge over the next 12 months in particular, because a lot of people who were hired, let's say at the beginning of the pandemic for new roles, or even in the last kind of, in the last six months, who are due or can be eligible for promotion um, inside an organization now, or kind of are definitely ready to do that because they've they've definitely elevated up. They haven't been in an office, right? They haven't had that that in-person relationship with, with their manager to therefore have other internal mobility ch- um, opportunities kind of, you know, and have that kind of career place. Um So, or, or career conversations. Internal mobility is gonna be a huge challenge. I think hybrid working is, is a manager's challenge rather than an employee's challenge. And internal mobility is one of the biggest ones for that because we just don't have the visual anymore. So we just need new ways to identify and nurture people's ability to be promotable and therefore get promoted. Um, um but similarly you know that the age old thing that managers always have which is oh I can't afford to lose my best person <laughs> I know she deserves a promotion but I can't afford to lose her where she is to move over to this other amazing team because she's doing some, such amazing work within our team um it is important I think that obviously we, we keep as many people as we can inside the organizations the great resignation over the past year has definitely decimated talent inside our companies and internal mobility or lack of has been one of the biggest causes for that as well as just bad managers not being human um several people be like i quit i move into to somewhere else so yeah that's my prediction internal mobility uh being challenging next year
0: totally agree it's a, it's a new philosophy for talent uh, it's it's complicated it takes a decade or so to fix in an organization potentially culturally uh, huge i remember talking I, I spoke to the group of leaders this year and i mentioned internal mobility and they went oh yeah like people being promoted i said yeah no what else? Like that's not that's not the end of it. To Beth Kaye, one of our guests this year, her point, the only way is not up. Um, you know, there's more ways to go. And yeah, we have a lot of talent hoarders out there, and that's a typical leader, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to letting folks go. But there's a lot of thing, challenges to that. You've got process challenges in the recruiting process, you've got leader challenges in terms of their hoarders, they don't know how to support that, they don't want to support that. And then the individuals in the organization often don't know where to go to find the jobs. How do you get a job internally? I've worked here for 15 years. How do I move departments? Is that possible? What skills do I need? It's complicated, right? But that's the talent where we live in and The market forces us to do that. You have to, you know, look at your internal talent, uh, perhaps over and above external talent and change that Mm -hmm. focus. A talent acquisition, which often in the TA world, you had separate teams, one for internal, one for external. I think it's talent, you know, and you see more talent teams come together. We've seen this in the last few years. Um, But I think there's tons there to work with. I think they're probably safe enough Mm -hmm. predictions where, we're not just deliberately going after safe predictions. We, we do believe they are the ones. So the ESG focus, hybrid working, skills-based or strengths-based hiring and internal mobility. There are four themes. You heard them here. and We'll see how they played out during 2022. Holly, thanks for joining me on, on this. You might stay with me while I close out the show. We're going to go from the future to the past next week. For our final show of the year, I'm really excited about this. I'm going to be joined by the wonderful Jerry Crispin. He's a principal and co-founder of Career Crossroads. And more than that, he's the godfather of recruitment. And what Jerry doesn't know about recruiting isn't worth knowing. But Jerry's going to be coming on to talk about the history of recruitment. And this is going to be a fun show, because Jerry um, was involved in a project this year where he worked with a bunch of folks, myself and some of the people who are listening here today, um, to, to crowdsource what is the ultimate history of recruiting. And he shared it with me recently, and it's fascinating. So you're going to have an opportunity to hear him go through that, to find out things about this profession, this industry. You never knew some of the root causes of some of the things that we accept day to day you probably didn't even know about. Um, Some of the milestones of the big companies, the big uh, events that happened. And that's going to be next week, just before Christmas, Wednesday, 22nd of December. It might be your final day in the office. If so, do join us for hopefully 45 minutes of really interesting, insightful chat. That's at 4 p.m. UK, Ireland time. It's 11 a.m. on the East Coast of the U.S., 8 a.m. on the West Coast. And you can find that by going to socialtalent.com forward slash the shortlist. Go to YouTube, Social Talent, or go to my LinkedIn profile, or you can catch the audio podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts by Wednesday evening next week. So do join us for a bit of the past to complement the future that we've brought you here today. Thanks, Holly. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week.